The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, every family, I think, is a little bit different. And one of the ways that my family is different than I ever anticipated it being when I was younger was that um, I have two daughters. And so I uh, grew up as just me and my brother. My dad was the youngest of four brothers, just boys, boys, boys for generations in our family until this recent generation of Palmers. And it's just a slew of girls. And I don't know about you, what your family makeup is, but in my house with teenage daughters, the most popular conversation item over the last four years has been this woman, Taylor Allison Swift. (laughs) Every piece of news, every album, all the rumors about albums, dissection of lyrics. We have got full-on PowerPoints done, breaking down Taylor Swift lyrics. We play Taylor Swift games. I know more about this person than I know anyone I'm not related to. And so maybe like some of you, about three weeks ago, I got a phone call in the middle of the day from a screaming 15-year-old to tell me, that Taylor Swift was going on tour. And we just had to get tickets. We just had to. And we have turned down a lot of concerts that they, the girls have asked to go to, because honestly, I don't like leaving the house, and that requires <laughs> something of me. And so, okay, we'll see what we can do. Well, before you can go on Ticketmaster to get tickets, you have to get a presale code to get tickets. So back in the last century when we went to concerts, <laughs> tickets went on sale and you just got up and you went down to a venue or an authorized reseller of tickets and you waited in line. And the most anything that anybody would ever do was they might show up the night before and wait in line. There has legitimately never been anyone that I wanted to wait in line to go see. (laughs) But you had to get a pre-sale code. And so I asked my children, are you telling me that I have to get in line in order to get in line? And all of this is already online. (laughs) Yes. Got the pre-sale code. Day comes. It's ticket release day, and for some reason, Ticketmaster has decided that they're going to do the entire country at once. At this very moment, Taylor Swift is dominating the top 10, and not, I'm not talking about like one or two songs. That week, every song in the top 10 was a Taylor Swift song, every one, all 10. And so Ticketmaster sends out this notice to everybody saying what you can intuit, that there's going to be high demand for these concert tickets. And then Ticketmaster is overrun by fathers like me (laughs) 
because their children are at school having to buy these tickets. And some of you don't know how to work Ticketmaster. And I know because you got on Ticketmaster and you were looking for a price of a ticket that you could afford. <laughs> that was not my plan. Mine was just to get, they let you get six. I was going to get six. And whatever, whatever happened, happened. Like if we had to sell one of those children, that would just be the outcome. <laughs> but it's all day. You've probably heard about that news. It took forever. Um, there were people who had to like, you know, actual jobs or had to go and pick up kids who missed their, missed their place in line. But I got mine. I'm thinking my children want us to buy tickets for them and all of their friends. I'm not doing all that. Your friends are on there. It's, the world is hard. <laughs> and the sooner you, know, sooner you know that, the better. So we get the tickets. We don't pay an incredible amount. Then an hour later, my oldest daughter, who is uh, a student at University of Texas at Austin, she gets on and she's like FaceTimes the whole family as we watch her buy these tickets and where they're going to be. And her mom says, just get whatever you can get. And that's when I start hearing cashier, cha-ching. <laughs> so she does. And what we find out is that now we are in possession of 10 Taylor Swift tickets. There are four of us. <laughs> and do you know what you get when you have 10 Taylor Swift tickets? A lot of new friends. <laughs> you hear from people that you just met one time, like in a Starbucks, because you've got something highly coveted and prized. Matter of fact, you got a lot of old friends who you've not heard from in forever. Like, did we go to elementary school together? Is that why you're contacting me right now? But we've got these tickets, and Ecclesia, I don't even want to tell you, I'm like embarrassed by how much money we spent on these tickets. I paid my mortgage on the first. <laughs> my mortgage is less than we spent on these tickets. <laughs> so last week, when the whole family is together, my youngest daughter, Catherine, decides that she's going to give us her Christmas list. <laughs> so she gives us her Christmas list. And it's not just... Here's a list of things that I'm interested in that I might want. It's not even like an Amazon wish list. This child has got on her computer and made a complete spreadsheet of all of the things that she wants to ask for for Christmas by like alphab alphabetized with where you can get it and the prices and she sends it to us, and at the top of the spreadsheet, it says, Kate's Christmas list, parentheses, no edits. <laughs> I said, okay. We're sitting around the living room, Thanksgiving week, 
we had some guests come in town and they had left. And we start talking about Christmas list. And Kate says, did you get my list? And I'm like, yeah, we, we got your list. And she said, I need everything on that list. <laughs> and her mother looks at her and says, do you not remember last week when we bought 10 Taylor Swift tickets? Like, that's your Christmas list? That's your birthday gift? That's Valentine's Day? That's your Easter basket? That's Kwanzaa and Hanukkah and Ramadan stuff we don't even celebrate? You're done. And so today, as we are in the second week of Advent Conspiracy, I get to talk to you about spending less. <laughs> the irony is not lost on me. And the reality is, when it comes to people you love, we look for ways to try to demonstrate that we love them. And Christmas offers us this really prime opportunity to do just that through gift exchanging. And the problem is, there's really nothing wrong with that. I mean, when you look through the scriptures, you discover a God who loves lavishly. You discover story after story of people who honor one another by offering their very best, and you find people who honor God by offering their very best, and sometimes that's monetary. And then you've got another problem. The Bible talks about money a whole lot. But one of the things it doesn't talk about a whole lot in regards to money is spending. Like it, it talks about tithing. And it talks about giving. The Bible talks about being wise with your money. But it leaves it to us to know what wise is when it comes to what we spend and how we spend it. Like what a Christian is supposed to do with their, with their extra income. Like there's no verse for that. There's, there's no place I can say and say, well, you should do this rather than this every single time. But while it doesn't talk about spending, when the scriptures do talk about money, it talks a lot about covetousness and greed. And what 
the scriptures want to point us to is to be discerning about how you approach your wealth, your possessions, and the idea of owning. And who owns? Because spending less, that can mean different things to different people. Like just to pick a number, if every one of us were to spend $5,000 this Christmas on whatever, travel or gifts or food, for some people, $5,000 isn't a lot of money to spend. And for others, that's way too much money to spend. And no one can really tell you exactly what to do with that amount of money because everybody's not you. So you have to be discerning about what you do with the gifts that God has given you. And so some things just do make sense. I think I've shared before with you that years ago when my wife was working in social work, she worked for an adoption agency. And so part of what she had to do with this adoption agency was as kids were being adopted by families, look at the family's finances to see if they could afford having another child, adding a child to their family. And so they had to do this audit. (coughs) And one of the families she worked with, the husband in the family made $400,000 a year. And as they were going through the finances, they explained to Rochelle that they spent the first three months of the year every year paying off Christmas. Now, if you were making over $33,000 a month, you think that you would be wiser about it, but you don't know that. So there are some places where we can say, that's just excessive, that's too much. But for most of us, the line is not always that clear because we are in different places different stations of life. We have different burdens and responsibilities. We have different obligations. And so we have to be careful about what we do with our spending and how we approach covetousness, this idea that I want, I crave, I need, and greed. I hoard. I want more. There's a story In Luke 12, when Jesus is teaching and he's approached by a man, and this is how Luke tells that story. He says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. So you've already got a system. Remember, we're dealing in the ancient world where the older brother got two thirds of the inheritance, and then he was in charge of kind of like a family business. And so this is clearly a younger brother coming and telling, asking Jesus to tell his older brother not to give him what is normal, but to split it, to divide it with him. But Jesus said to him, friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care, be on guard against all kinds of greed for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And where that becomes difficult for us is that we live in a place and a time 
where it sure seems like one's life is about one's possessions and abundance of one's possessions. And so a time like Christmas comes around, we kind of want to show off our possessions or add to someone's possessions that we love. Be on caution, Jesus says, against greed. And greed is just about having more and more of more, regardless of your need. Because this is, this is the same Jesus that taught his disciples not to pray for more or security, but for daily bread. This is the Jesus who anticipates that his followers, they trusted me yesterday, they trust me today, trust me tomorrow. Then Jesus goes on, he says, then he told him a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, because that's where most people do their thinking, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. There are a few things fascinating about this story. It appears in all three of the synoptic gospels in Matthew, Jesus is just preaching and he tells a story that's very similar. And when it happens in Luke, someone comes to Jesus and they ask him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then in this story, someone comes and says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. In all three, three different settings, three different tellings. Every time it is in the context of where you store your treasure. And that is fundamentally what money is about and what spending is about. It's where you store your treasure. And more than anything else, the three things that root inside us, that are all the cause of most of our trauma and sin, money, sex, and power. From the beginning of time, what human beings have struggled with the most that we think defines us are money and sex and power. And you know 
it's this insidious? Because in this parable, as this man tears down his barns to build newer ones, he doesn't just have an idea about what he should do. He says, soul, I will tell my soul we finally have enough. We've stored up for years. One of the things you find if you read the book of Psalms is that over and over you find the writers of the Psalms talking to their soul. And most most of us don't know, you actually can just talk to your soul. And we actually are often talking to our soul, that deepest part of us that holds our intellect, our body, our emotions, our hopes, our wishes, what holds all of that together, what's running our lives at any time is our soul. And you can be one of two kinds of people. You can be the kind of person who is on guard against greed, or you can be the kind of person who tells your soul it's about possessions. And when you look at the long arc, the grand testimony of the scriptures, what the Bible is saying every time it talks about money is how do you want to spend how do you want to spend the energy of your life that's the question what do you want to tell your soul your life is about one of my favorite stories is kind of tucked away in the book of acts and hardly anyone ever reads it because it's not one of the grand narratives of Acts, but it's about a woman named Tabitha. And here's how Luke tells that story in Acts 9. He says, now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who, had, who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping, and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, 
a tanner. So through the scriptures, you get this group of people, orphans and widows and the oppressed. And all through the scriptures, people who follow God are supposed to take care of the orphans and the widows, the orphans and the widows over and over and over again. And we meet this woman named Tabitha and she's died. And when Peter gets there, the widows start showing Peter these tunics and clothing that she had made. And church tradition for a long time has believed that Tabitha was a single wealthy woman who took it seriously to take care of widows. And so it's no surprise that when Peter gets there, they start showing Peter not all of her possessions, but how she had spent her life, the care that she had given to other people. Tabitha is called in Greek, amathatria. It's a disciple. There are 161 uses of the word disciple in the New Testament, one time is it used for a woman, and it's Tabitha. And this is how she spent her life, the energy of her life, which very much could have been about all of her things, but it was about all of her people. And when she died, she was not surrounded by all of her things. She was surrounded by her people. Peter tells a story. There's a story very much like it in the book of Mark where Jesus heals a girl who we just know as Jairus' daughter. And in Aramaic, Jesus says to her, Talitha kumi, beloved little one, arise. And in this story, Peter kneels down and says, Tabitha kumi, beloved, arise. This is what it means to give the energy of your life, to spend wisely, is to spend the energy of your life blessing the lives of others. To be less concerned about possessions, and more concerned about people. That's a life well spent. And so my prayer for us this Advent season, regardless of the dollar amount at the end of your bank account, 
at the end of Christmas. That you will take this one wild, precious life you have and spend it well. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.